haven't even been drinking. Welcome to So There I Was, which is how every great aviation story starts. This is episode 12, title One Hook on the Wheel. I'm Fig with my cohort, Repeat. <laughs> At least I'm not your cohort this week. <laughs> Host and Hort. Yeah, that's me. Yeah, Fig, I'm, greetings. I'm sober today, so yeah, there you that's go. good. Good stuff, man. So, yeah. Greetings. What a great podcast. This this was a fun show to do. Uh, we reconnected with uh, with a old buddy of ours who uh, we flew Harriers with, um, OB. And OB, OB talks about how he got into aviation and, and working at a uh, local FBO and how that didn't go so well one day. Crash the big man's plane. <laughs> yeah. I, I'm glad I wasn't him. That would have sucked. And then he talked about a lot of friends we had in this community that gave their all in service to the country and to their fellow Marines. And then he went into his, uh, his unique story. Uh, OB survived a horrific crash and wound up being very inspirational. Uh, he talks about what he's been through and how he has survived and thrived. So sit back, relax, and enjoy the show. And before we start, just a quick thank you to all our friends over at MacGeekGab.com, particularly uh, Dave Hamilton, who's given me the technical expertise and the help putting the show on the air so you can listen to it. Uh, if you're at all into Macintosh computers, Apple iWatch, uh, Apple Watch, iPhone, iPad, anything Apple and anything technical, then give MacGeekGab a listen. The Mac Geek Gab podcast, wherever you listen to your podcasts. Enjoy. So there I was, guys, September 22nd, 1993. That's how all great aviation stories start. This is Fig coming to you from Boston. And I want to say welcome to our guest, OB. Take it away, repeat. Yeah, repeat here, just down the road from Boston. Oh, no, actually, I'm in New Delhi, everybody. So, uh, <laughs> yeah, repeat here. So, it is how all great aviation stories start. That's actually a very specific one. But, yeah, OB is here with us today. Uh, here, your pilot extraordinaire and uh, marine aviator, uh, graduate of my alma mater as well. Right, mules. Right the flying on. mules. The flying mules. Where is flying that? mules? Well, uh, we'll have Ob tell us about that. Ob, tell us how you got to uh, got into aviation and uh, and 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 how that process looked and what was your, what was your commissioning source in the Marine Corps. All right. Well, hey, thanks for having me on the show, guys. I really appreciate it. Uh, I grew up in it. My dad spent 46 years with TWA slash American Airlines at the overhaul base in Kansas City. So as a small boy, we were going to air shows. We were going to uh, new equipment arrivals at the hangar and walking around brand new 707, 727s and 
747s. It was pretty awesome. So I got the bug early on from uh, from my dad, and he worked in management as a uh, as a material specialist, parts and everything. So he dealt with Pratt and Whitney, Rolls Royce, all the all the vendors that provided all the parts and engines for the aircraft and. So I kind of grew up in it. And then when I was a teenager in high school, I got a job at the downtown airport in Kansas City uh, mowing grass uh, after I got my driver's license. And then when I turned 18, my brother, you know, said, hey, OK, start driving a fuel truck, refueling airplanes and everything and and uh, towing them, parking them, stacking hangers. So I was doing all that stuff and always loved flying, always wanted to be a pilot, specifically a fighter pilot and uh you know fly some with weapons and and guns so uh in the summer or right out right out of high school in 1983 uh, i was in boot camp in san diego graduated there and then i went to basic supply training at camp lejeune for a couple of months i was there during the uh the beirut bombing in 83 came back home and i was part of the uh uh, Marine Corps headquarters, 24th Marines, right there in downtown Kansas City. I was a reservist with them. And then um, back to my old job, me and a buddy gassing up airplanes at the airport. And and uh, I was paying $37 an hour for flying lessons. That, it was, was, that, was, that was tight too, wasn't it? That was, it was tight then, but man, it's cheap now. I'd love to have that $25 an hour wet. I was like, holy cow, yeah, for the without airplane? the instructor. Yeah. Isn't that crazy? What, like, what airplane those are was the days. Was it a 152? Uh, I was a 152. 152. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Man, so from awesome. day one, you know, I started flying. Then by November of 84, I had my private. And then I wanted to go on and keep on, you know, getting the hours and working toward the instrument rating and everything. But I wasn't making a lot of money at five bucks an hour as a lineman gas and airplanes and, and doing stuff like that. So me and my buddy... In the Marine Corps, we decided we were going to go to Tulsa, Oklahoma, to go to this school called Spartan School of Aeronautics, and we we're going to get our airframe and power plant licenses, so we could go turn wrenches and, and make some pretty good money uh, down there, and and uh, pay for flying lessons. So we moved down there, we get into school, and down there from '85 to '87, uh, I land a job with one of the majors, uh, basically as a baggage handler and loading you know cargo push out and all that stuff Lab, was, that in, was that in tulsa yeah Maybe? it was in tulsa okay yeah one of the majors down there so i did that uh for about two years and then in 87 when i graduated spartan um i moved back to kansas city and by that time i had already joined the platoon leaders class um like a lot of guys i had basically succumbed to the 1986 uh navy's best marketing movie ever <laughs> right. and and uh that just that I, I i looked at myself and i thought about it and i said self i was like what the hell are you doing paying all this money to learn how to fly when i can just go apply and make application and go do the things that i want to do anyway so i went and saw the oso i got plugged in passed all the tests and physicals and next thing i know i'm uh, i'm in the program right so I had been a Marine about three years to that time. I was a corporal by then and uh, retired or they got me, got me out of the reserves. I had to give up the reserves back then in order to be in the PLC program. I guess nowadays you can do it all and they, they pay a I lot of I had no money. idea that was a requirement. 
yeah, back then it was. Okay. Yeah, huh. you guys probably got it at all, right? Or or did well, you? Well, I I wasn't ever in the reserves. Uh, I okay. Actually, uh, I, I was in the twenty fourth Marines, but that was after I got off active duty. Mm. Yeah. So yeah, back then uh, I couldn't be a reservist and do my drill weekends and be in PLC and collect that money, and and collect GI Bill. So I guess kids these days that are getting plugged into the system, they can, they can collect all, all three. So it's pretty, pretty that's sweet. Good, deal. That's, that's crazy. Deal. Crazy. You know I mean? It's not like you're not doing military duty when you're at OCS. So. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. So uh, went to Warrensburg, Central Missouri State University, which is now Central Missouri University. It's about 50 miles Southeast of Kansas city. And uh, I became a mule. They were the fighting mules. Don't ask why I don't know, but my mission was to uh, just to get through the last two years of school, get my commission, and be on my way. So uh, continued. Oh, Go ahead. Did you do any flying down there, Obi? I did. did you fly at all? I did. I flew with some guys down there. I got enough hours and some instruction. I managed to finish my instrument rating. And so before I ever got to the Marine to uh, Pensacola, I had about 300 hours of civilian flying in an instrument private. That, that was the extent of my ratings. I never went any further well, than I'm sure, that. I'm sure that helped immensely in primary. Oh, yeah. FAM 1, you know, on the T-34 Charlie, I had a, a 46 driver, uh, Barley, as my uh, instructor. He was great. And uh, as soon as we took off and got airborne and put the gear up and everything, we were flying around. He goes, so, you ever flown before? I said, yes, sir. Because, you know, you don't want to brag about it. You don't want to be... Right. Because right. they'd peg you, right? Oh, sure. And I go, yes, I sir. I flown <laughs> and uh, he goes, well, it shows you're doing really good, holding altitude, heading all this other stuff. And I go, thanks, sir. He goes, uh, he goes, how many hours you got? I go, oh, I have about 300, sir. He goes, oh, good, good. He goes, yeah, you're in Smith? I said, yes, sir. He goes, good. You're going to do very well. And from then on, it, you know, it was, it was a lot of fun. It was really good. So, that was in uh, Picola and left there, went to Kingsville, Texas, and flew the Buckeye and the A4 Skyhawk. Uh, I like to say that was, you know, just as much fun as a Harrier flying the A4. I really yeah. love that jet just as much. And That was a green you know, airplane. It was tight, though. I, I don't think anybody that ever flew that airplane didn't absolutely love it. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it was a gas. I mean, I like to tell people it's the most fun I ever have with my clothes on. Right on. <laughs> because it was, you know, especially going aboard the ship. You know, in the T2s, uh, we went out to the JFK. And I think I heard you guys say that the other day on one yeah. of the other podcasts. Yeah. That was my qual ship in T2s. And uh, as as Karma would have it, that, air, that uh, carrier's in dry dock right up the river in Philadelphia. And so when I sit in the tower in philadelphia and i uh take radio calls from pilots with broke airplanes and stuff like that i just look out the tower and there there she sits There's big john the J- yeah. big john is right there <laughs> absolutely and then uh so landing on that was fun and then uh of course day fours in the in the skyhawk we were at the eisenhower and that was like landing at a normal airport it was so damn big I was like, holy cow, that thing is huge. Even flying around on the overhead, like, that bitch is huge. (laughs) So we had a lot of fun. I got to spend one night on it with my instructor. 
because my jet needed to be used for for something else so they had me park the jet and did you I have shave, did you have shave kit and stuff with you or did you have to buy everything I, there? No, I didn't have anything. I traded underwear. No, it is. I traded underwear with my instructor and <laughs> and uh, so clean. That was go. all good. <laughs> Turn it inside out. What was her name? So, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. Betty Boop. Or yeah, something like go. that. There you go. No female tech. So I got Wayne. Yeah. I had huh? good guys. Cuz was a good dude. That was the guy I flew back with. He was Navy. And there are a lot of those guys are a seven drivers. And, uh, I know I heard you say the other day that, uh, there weren't a lot of Harrier drivers in, in, in flight school at that yeah. time. And, and, uh, you're, you're probably some of the first ones, right, Chuck? Yeah. Uh, there was one guy in Meridian, Mississippi, you know, when I went through and he was kind of weird and it just was like, wow, this is something. But when I went back to be an instructor in Kingsville, hell, there was a half a dozen of us. Yeah. Yeah. Was, that's, awesome. that's, that's a good thing. That's a good thing. So, uh, winged in July, 92, 30 years ago. Wow. There's a, there's Great. a thought. Yeah. What the hell that time go? Yeah. Uh, and then I showed up in September of 92, uh, reported to two Oh three. And I will never forget this. Um, uh -oh. Fig, you'd already left, so you're probably already on your way to Kingsville. Oh no! In September of of two of ninety two, we were West packed. BMA two twenty three was West packed. We went there in May of okay. ninety two, and we yeah. we got well the, the the guys like me got back in December of ninety two. Okay, yeah. okay. So I you know, I don't want to use names, but you know, uh, George Acosta. Yes. Yep. Yep. Flew in the water and uh was he in your class no he was ahead of me okay way ahead of me i think you know he uh i don't even know if that was a 203 accident or if that was a 231 accident i i don't recall but what i do recall is walking by the hangar it was a 231 was it yeah okay but i walked by the hangar and the doors are open and I look over and I've got my orders in hands and I'm in uniform and everything. And I look over and there's a Harrier and a million pieces all scattered on the hangar floor. And I went over there and I walked through it and I looked around and I was like, you know, the, the gravity yeah. of the situation and the seriousness uh, of the job and what we were doing now flying a tactical aircraft, just it, it hit me. I was like, wow. You know, it, yeah, this is the big leagues. Well, yeah, yeah. and I had heard about it in Kingsville that there was a Harrier crash right, you know, right after yeah. I got winged, and uh, but but to see it with the, with the parts everywhere. So they probably you know, used our hangar while we were gone to lay that in. I bet that was in our, our two twenty three hangar. It was. It yep. was. I remember that was the two twenty three squadron. Yeah, that makes sense. So checked in and then started Harrier training and. What a pilot's airplane, though. You know, you had a lot of fun flying the A-4, but then when you flew the Harrier, you're like, wow, this this is a different beast, different animal. And if you recall, you kind of had to unlearn a lot of the things that you did in fixed-wing aircraft coming aboard, right? Right. right. So some of the stuff in the A-4, you're like, okay, the instructor's like, okay, uh, unwire that. <laughs> right. We're going to rewire your brain housing group, and this is right. how you got to do it now, right? You put the power exactly. in the corner and you're going to, and you're going to stuff the stick and that's how you're going to fly this thing now or something. 
Uh, One of the cool things about the Harrier, although some people think it makes it antiquated, but uh, the thing that I kind of took some pride in is it was the last of the stick and rudder mechanical interlink. No, it was not fly-by-wire airplane. You didn't just vote in it. You know, they say about the Hornet that, you know, you don't fly in so much as you vote. You pull hard on the stick and the airplane goes, eh, I'll give you this much. (laughs) Yeah. 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 uh, There's mechanical interlink. So there was real, real airplane feedback when you were flying that airplane and you had to fly it all the way to a stop. Absolutely. Conventional landings. You did a conventional landing. That airplane was still flying pretty much. That was terrifying. Even even though you were on the runway. Yes, it was terrifying. (laughs) Conventional landings were terrifying. Especially if if your mains were over service, because then you... Then you were teeter tottering down the runway left and right as your as yeah. your outworkers were Remember that? seeking that I, Yeah, yeah, because you're on the crown of the runway, yeah. and uh, you're like, "Holy cow, that was a scary landing!" If you're doing that at 140 knots, it was like, "This is well, so unconventional." Do you, do you remember? Uh, so, um, so I got two of you here, and, and well, there's three of us, and I'm gonna just self uh, incriminate myself that you know that um, if there was for doing a conventional landing, you had to lock the flaps in like cruise. So they wouldn't move when you move the nozzles. Do you remember that? Yes. Well, uh, you weren't you in V stall flaps. You couldn't have them in stall flaps. You had to have them in That's either right. auto. I think they were in uh, auto, but they wouldn't. So uh, they wouldn't go more than twenty five degrees down. If you forgot. If you, you forgot. Were and that's what happened uh, to me. Uh, you know, I'm doing a, a buck eighty when we when I cross the threshold, and then when I touch down, I pull the nozzles down to get reverse. You know, to go ninety eight and a half to get a little reverse and Next thing I know, I'm I'm airborne and my nose is pointing down at the ground and I was uh, I was wow. out of ideas real quick. Put the throttle back in, went around, and thought, okay, I'm never going to do that again. And I never forgot again. But did you guys ever forget to set the flaps properly on a conventional landing? Never, never did that. I don't know if you kept them in auto or normal. I said, but... I, I I feel like you locked them in. Uh, in I, I, uh, I don't remember the setting now, except I knew it. Didn't, it had to not be stull flaps because that yeah. then they programmed to fifty degrees and which is exactly I knock wood. I never did it when I was in the fleet. Never did it when I was a student at the RAG. And I'm checking out in the uh, as an instructor, and I go out with Pee Wee, and we're yeah. coming around yeah. and we're doing a conventional landing, and, and we're on right base to three two left there at, at Cherry Point, and I'm rolling into the groove. And we get to about 50 feet. He goes, all right, take it around. Go around. So go around and, like, what's going on? He goes, you fucking with me? <laughs> like, what do you mean? To see if you he really goes, realize your flap switch goes, auto. Look at your flap switch. I'm like, holy shit. Oh. <laughs> he goes, oh. I go, oh, man. I, you know, I figured I was going to have to do that hop over again with him to yeah. – uh, I go, tell him, well, hey, nice catch. I was seeing yeah, if you were going to catch yeah, it. See if you're going to catch it. That's right. He go, just he, he, thought me, I, he thought I was screwing with him because uh, yeah. he's like, he's not forgetting. Dude, he's just sitting there terrifying. watching it the whole time. It was conventional it, landing was terrifying. Oh, yeah. You had to request, did you request the jog? No, we, well, we never touched to. down on that one. Well, yeah. Right. <laughs> well, yeah that's we always request yeah. the jog so yeah. you could use all the runway and then all the next runway to get the damn thing. Yeah, stopped. 20, yeah. 20,000 feet of runway available yeah. to you to get it stopped. Yeah. Something like that. I remember yeah. that. But that was, a hell of, that was a hell of a ride, and everybody hated doing conventional landings because you teetered on the crown. Right. And you know, maybe one outrigger would touch and then the other one. And then you go into reverse thrust, and you're just like, oh, man, you just hope it holds together. and 
you know, I'm able to get stopped. It was yeah. very uncomfortable. It was yeah. a true emergency procedure. Really, that's the only time you do a conventional landing yeah. if you have some mm-hmm. kind of problem with the nozzles. Mm-hmm. Hey, I, I would I want to backtrack just a little bit because we're on such a good we're on a pretty good roll here. Uh, so right. I want to completely take us off the tracks and go in the dirt. If, if, oh, but, great! And and we can come back to this and we'll pick up here if we can. But you you mentioned that you were uh, working at the FBO, driving tugs, fueling airplanes, that kind of stuff. Right. Um, there at at the FBO in Baton Rouge, I used to watch the guys play chicken on the tugs. <laughs> No one was around. You you ever see any wild stuff there? Any of that stuff? Uh, I, I I never did any of that stuff, but I did crash an aircraft or two, towing it from behind and drag a wing into the side of a hangar. Yeah, I did do that once. <laughs> hangar yeah. rash. <laughs> yeah, no, it'll be a quick story. But I was only 18 years old, and I I used to work at Baker's Flying Service, and I was by myself on a Saturday morning, and every Tom, Dick, and Harry is out there flying, wanting their aircraft on the ramp. And I'm busier than a, you know, a one-armed paper hanger, right? <laughs> That'll get funny later. <laughs> that, yeah. And uh, so this one guy calls, his name was George Martin, and he was a bail bondsman. This guy was about 6'5", red hair, ugly, mean, and he flew a, a Piper Aztec twin engine. Nice bird, great bird. Mm-hmm. And he calls, hey, this George, I need uh, 13772 brought up to the line. I'll be down in about 30 minutes, you know, something like that. Okay, sir, see you then. Boom, click, forgot it. I'm out on the ramp. I'm doing other things, fueling airplane stuff. He shows up. He goes, where the hell's my airplane? I go, what? He goes, where the hell's my airplane? I just called about a half hour ago. I said, I need the, you know, the Aztec brought up. Go, oh, George, I'm sorry. I'm so sorry. And, uh, he goes, well, can you go get it? God damn it. You know, he started chewing me out and everything. I hop on the tug. And by this time I'm pissed because, you know, I'm stressed out because I'm doing everything by myself. So I drive down to the T hanger and push these huge metal doors open, hook up the tug. And I'm dragging it out and I'm dragging it across the ramp and I'm going at a good rate of speed. And the owner, Wilbur Baker, who at that time was probably 90, and his son, uh, Jim, ran the FBO and everything. He started to walk out, and then I started to make this looping turn, a left turn, to bring the aircraft back up right in front of the hangar and everything. And I'm not paying attention to the right wing. And about two feet of the right wing just clips the corner of the hangar and crushes it in. Oh, about. No. Yeah, about a foot. I mean, I oh. hit it. I hit it pretty good. So here, here's the best part. So you're gonna need a little rudder trim, George. <laughs> yeah, good, good old Wilbur Baker comes up. He's about 90 years old. Like I said, he comes up, and and I'm sitting. I look back, and I put my head on the steering wheel like this. <laughs> oh no! Wilbur comes over, and he's so nice, such a gentle soul, and he goes, "Well." I was going to stop stop you and say something to you. I thought maybe you were going a little too fast there. And I go, okay, Wilbur, thanks. I go, well, I guess I'll go in now and I'll tell George. So I walk in to where all the pilots are hanging out in the lounge there. And I go, George, I said, uh, you can't go flying now. He goes, why not? I go, because I just fucked up your airplane. Oh, no. He stood up and his face turned as red as red can be. And he started walking out behind me. And I tried to keep a safe distance out of swatting distance from him, you know, from, right. getting, from getting hit. Right. And he saw his airplane and he chewed me up one side and down the other. 
and just laid into me. I mean, I, I'm 18 years old and I'm like, I'm just like, I'm on the edge of tears and everything. Oh yeah. And, and that was it. And that was like the crash. And Marv Keller came out and he was an A-10 driver in the air force. He goes, John, he goes, don't worry about it. He goes, you're here by yourself. Just don't worry about it. Get back to work. This guy's a total asshole. Just let it be. So I did. I let it be. But I worked at that FBO, Baker's Flying Service. Oh, and by the way, George one night was drunk driving on the way home and about two o'clock in the morning, rear-ended a tractor trailer rig parked on the uh, off-ramp and decapitated himself. So he was killed instantly. Well, I took care uh, of that. So, (laughs) and and there I was. And there... So there I was. I wore I wore I worked all over the downtown airport at uh, MKC and uh, over to Macaulay's Flying Service and then Executive Beechcraft is where I finished up in college. So those were the FPOs that I worked at. Repeat, nice. you know, loved it. But that that's about the most exciting story that I have. That's pretty on exciting. That. <laughs> um, that that was but, not a yeah. Oh you know, man, that's, yeah. that's hair curling. So, yeah. So, all right. So I told you, I'd take us, take, take us back now or we, we are on a good roll, but I had to go back to there. Cause I know I saw some funny stuff at the FBOs and, uh, that, well, that one's just painful to hear. Oh man. That, that one's just... painful. Yeah. I was there when you were telling that story. I'm telling you, I was right. I was yeah. there. I was kind of sweating. My palms were sweating when you were telling <laughs> like, me you had to go tell that big bail bondsman that you just crashed his plane. I know. And he was six, five and ugly. I was yeah. like, Oh my oh, God. Yeah. So. Yeah, he would, he would always bring back criminals, you know, guys that skip bail in his airplane handcuffed and dragging them out and everything. He was, he was a hard ass. So, so wow. yeah, I finished up, finished up the rag, uh, in 93 and I joined 231 in, uh, late July. Okay. And then, uh, that was Brent, July, July 93. So yeah, we're a year we? after you got winged, you, you Correct. hit the, you hit the fleet finally. Correct. Okay. And uh, show up at two thirty one. And uh, well, how were the instructors at two oh three? Oh, they were just they, oh, none finer, none finer. There you, you go. Know, Come on, that's what I Come want on. to hear. <laughs> so, you know, Skull, right? You guys, yeah, know yeah. Dan Christopher, Dan, yeah, God yeah. rest his soul. He was a great instructor. Uh, tell, tell me, he was. Tell me, he was cool. He was sharp. And he was cool. Yeah. Here's the thing I bet neither of you know about him. And Pee Wee. I flew with Pee Wee, too. So. Pee Wee's a great guy. Two, well, two, two tragic stories. Uh, but you may not know this about Pee Wee. Pee Wee's son was the aircraft commander of the C-130 that went down right before Christmas about two years ago. Yeah. I did not know that. Yeah. Remember the F-18 hit the C-130 out yes. of the Pacific? Yeah, yes. Pee Wee's son was the aircraft commander of, of that airplane. That's horrible. Um, so yeah, it was horrible. Um, cause a fine yeah. gentleman and I remember them as, as, as young men, but then, uh, and then the thing about skull and of course we lost skull. Jeez. I think it was three years ago now. In, That's when I in, ran into you in DC. Yeah. Yeah. We went to his, uh, uh, memorial at, uh, Arlington national cemetery, mm-hmm. but, uh, he, he passed of colon cancer in, uh, in like 54, 55 years old. Skull was the number one graduate of his TBS class. Really? Always, yeah. Always 
ran a 300 PFT. He was so atypical of that guy, though. Remember, that was always, we ever play spring butt bingo at TBS? You know, which one of these morons is going to stand? It's time to go. But, no, I'm going to stand up and ask a question just to show how smart I am and that kind of thing. Yeah. Yeah. Skull was never like that. He was always smart. He was always faster. He, he was on top of stuff, and he, but he never rubbed it in your face. He just sat back yeah. and, and worked his ass off. And yeah. you're right. And, and you never knew. He never was well, never knew the, that. an arrogant prick. No, he was amazing. Yeah. yeah. So. Him and Lefty, they ran that magnet board for, for our training syllabus. Right. Him and Lefty were in charge of that, and they were good at it, man, those two. Lefty flies for, for us now. Yeah. Uh, we, we saw Lefty at we saw Lefty OB at the, uh, at the reunion. reunion in at the Harry yeah. reunion. Yeah, I wish yeah, you'd yeah. come. Yeah, he looked good. So, yeah, good dude. But there were a lot of great instructors there. I flew with B9 and uh, Pee Wee and Bodorf Boris was my, uh, he was oh, yeah. my on wing. And then there were a couple of other guys. So, but, so, right, so think, let me ask you this, uh, Obi, because when, when, when I went through, it was kind of a horrible experience overall. There were some good guys that were fun to fly with, but there were some guys that were just downright, mean and it was like in the in the in the theme was the harrier community eats its own right were you a nice guy repeat or were you i was a hard ass i hated it i hated the students man i screwed with them at every chance i had repeat walks into the red room he goes my name is repeat i am hard but i am fair (laughs) (laughs) you do you do a good early army buddy he does oh my gosh he was what good. I, Pete, I, I think we flew together a couple times. I'm, I'm pretty sure we did, yeah. I know yeah. we did some bombing sorties together, night bombing. Wow. Yeah. And, and Neck, remember Neck? Yeah. Neck was oh, a yeah. great instructor. He was so cool and laid back. Uh, and some of the other guys. So I tried a lot to be, of fun. you know, I was there to have fun. I I gave one, <sighs> I gave one unsat ever. And uh, I really didn't even want to, but my hand was kind of forced. Guy passed me in the night bombing pattern. It's like, yeah, okay. We got to work yeah. on that. So yeah, yeah. And if I yeah. if I hadn't given it, nightmare was going to give it to him because he was also out there that night. Like, mm-hmm. You going to give it to him or me? I said, I got it. Yep. <laughs> hey, I, so, I I just but, had a something we just one of you just said uh, triggered a memory, and I just wanted to say it real quick. It was about the rag. Actually, it was my it was my NATOPS check flight that I had with Ragu, who was the opso at the time. Remember, you did it in a T-Bird, and, you know, you had to fly a DAS sortie yep. to a time on target. Then you come back, you do all the circus landings in the pattern. So we did. I hit the, I hit the TOT to the second, sh- shacked, shacked the bullseye hit, come back, do all the circus landings. And when I was done, I thought, well, that just couldn't have gone any better. And Ragu, like, unstraps and takes off, mumbling something about being in my office for the debrief. And after I did the walk around, I went through maintenance control, and uh, everybody was kind of white because he had come through there obviously mad. And I'm like, geez, what's going on? I get up to his office, and he starts screaming before I get through the door because, remember, it was glass. You could kind of see yeah. You could kind of see <laughs> He's screaming at me to shut the door. And so I'm, I'm at attention. Uh, he didn't tell me to get attention. I just, you know, ne- it was lock a reflex. I just locked it up. Attention. <laughs> He's on the other side of the desk, frothing, 
screaming expletives at me, spit, spit. I could see veins coming out of his neck, and you know he had kind of a, a, a his hair was receding, and there was yeah. veins going right here, and uh, and I was trying to process why, 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 why is he so mad? I thought that I thought what just happened was was aviation history or something, right? Right. And so finally, I'm listening. He's saying words like, "Take your wings, never fly again." Blah blah blah, and then eventually, I think he he realizes I don't know what he's talking about. So he takes a breath and he goes, "You know what I'm talking about?" I'm like, "No, sir, I don't know what you're talking about." He says, "All right, well, let me ask you this then. God damn it!" He says, "What is the speed limit below ten thousand feet?" Well, sir, it's it's two hundred fifty knots, but you know we we have a waiver for three hundred. He goes, "That's right. How fast were you going?" And I went, "Well, it's going four hundred knots." He goes, why were you going 400 knots? And I said, because it's fun. No. <laughs> and I said, honestly, sir, I've never not gone 400 knots from the range back to the back to the break. And he goes, you mean to tell me every? And I'm like, yes, sir, every single. Because, you know, think about it. Before you do that NATOPS flight, you're on somebody's wing going to and from the range. All the and time. I'm telling you, yeah. I was never below 400 knots. So yeah. when I left the range, I was it was muscle memory. I was 400 knots all the way back. Power in the corner. So when, when, when I told him, he says, how many times did you? I said, every single time I came back for the radio, I was at 400 knots. And he goes, get out of my office. Followed there by, there was an all-officer all instructor meeting in the ready room as I was leaving the building. I'm sure there was an ass chewing. But yeah. <laughs> so I did pass my NATOP check. But That's I, good. I, for a second there, I thought I was never going to fly again. But you were taught well. Yeah, that would be scary, right? Have your yeah. wings yanked for something like yeah. that. Yeah. But it was just, you know, so that was my rag experience. My rag experience was actually pretty good. But I, I, I want to say one more story. I, I, I had done really well in flight school because I had uh, a lot of flight time like OB did. And uh, I didn't do anything stupid. So by, by the time I got to the rag, I, I, hadn't, I, I made it all the way through flight school without ever getting unsat. So I don't remember who the instructor was. But we sat down to brief. And he opens my training folder and he says, huh, yeah, you've done pretty well. Yeah, yes, sir. Yes, sir. Uh, you know, I've been unfortunate. Uh, you know, I had a guy had Working a lot hard. of good training, and he goes, "Okay," closes it up, and he says, "What is?" And he asked me some obscure thing that was not in NATO's manual, and I said, "Well, sir, I'm not sure what that is, but I'll I'll, I'll look it up and find out." And he goes, "You don't know what that is? Well, you know what this is? This is a ready room down. We're not flying today." And he picks up his stuff and leaves. And I'm sitting there going, "What? What the hell just happened? I just got it down for what?" Yeah, so that was, yeah, wow. you, you haven't had it down yet? Yeah. You got it down now, son. Nice. Take the rest of the day off and think about what a dumbass you are. Welcome, welcome. Wow. Welcome to, welcome to the Harrier to go rag. do something that day instead of flying. <laughs> yeah. So he found Hello. a way not to. And yeah. I actually had a guy, he's he's at the uh, company I'm at. He actually apologized, apologized to me on the jump seat one night. He was one of the rag instructors. He goes, I thought my job was to impress you guys and make you want to be like me. It wasn't until years later I realized that my job was to teach you how to do this the best way you possibly can. So uh, he's a good guy, but he was he was a prick as an instructor. Call, yeah. call sign? Mad Dog. Yes, I knew that's who you were going to say. I knew it. I knew it. Yeah, yeah. Yes, he lives yes. in New the Hampshire reputation with me. precedes he's, him. Oh, yeah. my gosh. He's, he's a good guy. He lives in New Hampshire with me. Um, not with me, but you know, same state. <laughs> it's okay. It's okay. It's okay. Not that there's anything wrong with that. I know. Okay. Right? <laughs> so.
So anyway, at 231, uh, I remember this vividly. Um, it was about the first or second week of August of 1993, and McDonnell Douglas came to the hangar and they presented Bull Delaney with his 500 mishap free hour patch. Yep. And uh, because he had flown in the Gulf War, he had flown in the Gulf War, right? Yeah. yeah. And uh, Bull was a pilot's pilot and a man's man. And he he kind of came up with some techniques to avoid heat signatures from the missiles and all this other stuff, right? By mm -hmm. using the top of the airplane to to guard the hot exhaust nozzles and whatever, kind of reduce the signature a little bit, but he was good at that tactical stuff. So they gave him that patch. And then, uh, you know, it wasn't just a few days later on August 10th and the airplane let him down, you know, he was doing RVLs right there at runway five. And uh, the skipper and I, Braun, we were out flying around. We came back, we landed moments after it. And, you know, they were wondering who it was. They didn't even know at that time who it was. Right, right. And so the opso, the guy manning the radios that day, you know, after everybody that checked in, it was a process of elimination of right. who it wasn't. Yeah. And uh, we landed and I can hear a skipper. He calls in ops to check in and the skipper's like, hey, uh, sir, crash. And uh, yes, sir. Was that one of ours? Yes, sir. He goes, all right. Me and OB are in. We'll be in a minute. And we went in, and then by then, you know. Then they'd figured out who it was. Yeah, and that I, was I another... didn't investigate that one. It, it was my recollection. It was That was another flap impingement. Yeah. Yeah. He, yeah flap flaps, impingement. Flaps remained down. He got flap impingement. And when you nozzle down on the Harrier, it, your flaps were supposed to program up. If they don't program up, then the thrust gets vectored onto the flaps and and directed back downward, and it gives you a big nose-down pitching moment. That's and exactly so he was right. trying to nozzle out, and it pitched down, and he got a face full of runway, and he ejected safely from that aircraft. He landed, and I think I think the doc told me he, he chipped the bone in his heel, but he had the unfortunate uh, outcome that where he did land was about five feet away from where the airplane subsequently landed and then exploded into flames so yeah i uh my best friend if you ever meet him someday uh fig <coughs> my best friend hatchet out in, <coughs> at the training center and you'll meet him someday you have to look him up i'll beep that out <laughs> he he was riding his bike around the outer road right there at runway five on the approach end and he yeah. was there witnessing the, the thing firsthand he was matter of fact the best witness they had to it but you know rvl touch and goes and you know he was a masterful pilot he was so good at it he gets to 300 feet he's nozzling out he's accelerating full power the flap control unit failed through the flaps down into the exhaust and then he goes from like this to like that yeah about wow. 30 degrees nose up to 45 degrees nose down and and a pitch rate a negative pitch rate that he can't arrest with the back and it threw him yeah threw him against the canopy you know if you're not yeah. tight in the straps he manages like you said to grab the handle clears the airplane beats it oh thank god right yeah but the airplane you know you figure his forward speed he's probably doing uh, i don't know 70 80 knots by then forward yeah. speed yeah. The airplane, I, I I went out to the crash site with Fogger 
and where the, the, the lens on the nose hit the runway, you could see the impact point right there. And that airplane hit, went on its back, exploded in flames and slid down the runway like that, right down the center line. Yeah. And then he got a swing in the chute. And then the wind that day just kind of blew him right back over, melted his chute. And he was right there. So yeah. that that's like two, to, for me, two wake-up calls in one year. It's yeah. like, I would yeah. just... And remember after that, because McDonnell Douglas really didn't have an answer for this, this flap control unit failing. Do you remember? And every time we took off, I can remember just having one hand ready on the ejection handle just in case <laughs> yeah, right. when you flew that thing. You know, I was, yeah. you had to I be forget, spring They did eventually come up with something. They were, they figured it was getting wet somehow. And I think they were, they had found a way to keep it dry, but I don't remember what that fix was. It, it killed a, it killed uh, wheels. Uh, he was a rag instructor, killed him. Uh, he was on a low level with one of our contemporaries. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. So they didn't know. And then, uh, so that was a bad start to August and then training went on in 231 for me gearing up and getting a lot of hours it was fun i was having the greatest time of my life and then we're doing uh we're ramping up for road ops at bogue field we're doing the cal site landings you know outside yeah. of bogue yeah. uh and then of course we're doing the rvl practice at bogue to get ready to do hey, lineman road Obi, real quick describe what the cal site landings were about uh the con confined area landing so yeah. you know they had the 75 by 75 foot steel mat nailed down to the ground and you'd go driving in you had an idea where that site was because the pine trees are what 150 feet tall yeah something <laughs> like sure. that they weren't sure yeah so you really couldn't see the cow site but the supervisor on the ground and the white truck he could hear you coming he's like i i i got ears on you and then he would have a visual on you first and say okay just keep coming come left a little bit and then you know you stabilize over the trees that at 200 or whatever and then he cleared you over the site and then cleared you to 100 and let you come down to land remember that oh yeah that, that was a gas that was it, it was a little unnerving until you could see the mat right oh yeah, yeah. remember the yeah. trees you'd be, yes. you'd be there hovering and the trees are just doing this yep. you're like and they're swaying back and forth yeah and you're yeah, just and you're yeah you're below the tree you got nothing but pine yeah. trees in your face it, it was it look. was literally like letting down into a forest and you until yeah. you got a little lower then you could see the mat otherwise it felt like you were you were trusting the guy on the ground right yeah and, and really all you could see was the white truck that right. was parked right. in the corner you know yes, and the guy was yes. in there on the radio so you didn't blow him away right right you know and then you touch down and uh let the motor cool down for five minutes and then you vto'd out of there and that was really cool because you just put the power in the corner and once you cleared the trees, right, you just kind of nozzled out and accelerated. Yeah, it was like did, a uh, did your fly by the Emerald Isle Beach at a, at a hundred feet and look for right. bikinis and head back to the point. Right, one animal thought. Penny Benjamin. <laughs> that's where Penny Penny Benjamin liked to sunbathe. Yeah, that's right. Everybody knows that. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> so on September twenty second, nineteen ninety three, is a beautiful Wednesday afternoon. Uh, about one o'clock, I'm coming in for my third pass. Uh, I did the first one and uh, did the reconfiguration, stowed off. You're down so at Lyman People don't. Lyman I know where you are, but people don't. Yeah, yeah. you were at Lyman so Road, which was this oh, yeah. June. Describe that, Obi. All right, so Lyman Road is a long, desolate piece of highway on Marine Corps property that Marine Corps owns, and then they block that off and they turn that into a runway because 
one of the operational characteristics of the Harriers to be able to be right behind the forward edge of the battle area to support Marines literally minutes ahead that are up there fighting. So we can stow off, do a short takeoff, accelerate, get into a position at a point where we could uh, drop weapons and support the guys on the ground. So one other piece of trivia I want to share is to give people an idea how challenging this is. The outriggers are 27 feet apart on the Harrier. That's your outboard landing gear on either wing. The width of Lyman Road was 29 feet. So you had a foot mm-hmm. on either side of the road to be lined mm-hmm. up properly. And it didn't landing. have a shoulder. Right. No, no. But you do remember they did have added uh, in the landing zone. They had that added asphalt a little bit in case yeah, you right. weren't exactly. So So I remember Dutch telling me, you know, after I stopped and I'm reconfiguring the jet, he's like, OB paddles. And, yes, sir. He goes, just make sure you watch your lineup next time you come around. And by the way, hurry and get off the road. I got another one right behind you. Okay. Great. Run through the checks. I stow off and I'm coming around the pattern. Now I'm at the 45. I pick up the road again. You know, you drive in at 200 feet on a rolling vertical landing. So just so your, your listeners know that you drive in at 200 feet, it's not quite a vertical landing. It's a six degree glide slope, 55 knots forward ground speed about the speed of a car going down the highway and you're going to land right on this really, really narrow road, right on the, the double yellow line down the middle of the highway. So I'm driving it in and I get to the point where, you know, the witch's hat, remember that where we're in the HUD symbology across the landing target, pull back a couple percent and I start my rated descent. And then when you're landing on the road, it was very similar to landing at the cow site that you felt like you were getting enveloped by green everywhere, trees everywhere. And really the only thing that was clear ahead of you was the narrow highway off into the distance. Remember that? Yep. So yeah. And again, the trees are kicking up beside you and everything. So you had this, this false sensation that you really weren't descending as fast as you may perceive, but I had gotten so focused on my lineup when I was coming in, I let my rate of descent get out of my scan. So I, I was at more than double the rate of descent or that's necessary to land. And the aircraft slammed down on, on the yellow lines. I remember Dutch and Fogger running away. I could see them going out to the left. And I hit with such force that my head came down and kind of snapped. And I really, I kind of lost vision. I really couldn't see where I was going. The aircraft came down on the nose gear. And then just like you on your conventional landing, you're like a wheelbarrow fig yep. remember that yep. not a not a good place to be and then the aircraft starts going off the road and at that point i wanted to just get off of the road and and get airborne again so i put the power in the corner and i forget how many how many seconds it is for the aircraft to spool up to start regaining it's, you know it's, but I, it's about four seconds short of an eternity i think when you're in that situation right Right. Could be and, wrong, it, but it's, yeah. and it didn't help me. It didn't help me at the last moments. All it did was help me to accelerate. And so I'm going off the road. The nozzles are still down and I'm very light on the gear, the main gear and on the nose gear, I'm heavy on it. And the right wing clips a tree and it pulls me into the tree line further. And then ultimately the last two trees I hit were head on and uh, they were staggered. So I hit with the nose and the left engine intake simultaneously in the ejection seat and everything pivoted in the cockpit. 
and basically pinned my left knee up against the DDI, the dashboard. Yeah. And my left arm was pinned, you know, still holding on to the throttle up in the front. And it was wedged under the canopy rail. And I remember my vision coming back just about the time that I saw the trees. And then the canopy, as soon as I hit, uh, or right before I hit, I started to guard my face, you know, to protect myself a little bit. Because I knew there was going to be an impact, Reflex. which ultimately occurred at 37 knots or just over 40 miles an hour. And the canopy shatters in a million pieces. It was just like a ton of hail going over my head, all this glass. And then we came to a stop and then boom, fuel tank on the left side of the cockpit down underneath had exploded. The engine still running. Hey, was it, uh, was it at full power or was it at back at idle at that point? Do you by remember? that time, it, by that time, Fig, it, it, it probably was spooling up near full power. Oh boy. Uh, I don't know because I don't recall or remember pulling it to idle. A young Marine jumped up on the airplane on the back of a burning airplane to pull the engine to shut it off wow. and everything. So I, I don't remember at that point. Yeah. If he uh, slips, he's going down the intake, you know? Oh, yeah, yeah, definitely. But he got the motor off. And, uh, but before that crash crew was already rolling and, uh, you know, repeat, you did the MIR, on me in yep. the mishap investigation report. Uh, so crash crew said they were already rolling when they saw me hit the ground because they knew it was going to be bad because I, right. I they could see my rate of descent from 3,000 feet down the road and they knew something was going to be up. So they started dousing me with firefighting foam. And for the viewers that don't know, firefighting foam is designed to take oxygen out of the air. So very difficult to breathe when there's no oxygen so i'm screaming literally for my life and i'm trying to get away from the airplane and i can't and i'm lean trying to get away from the flames yeah. and i'm waving my hand out of the right side of the aircraft like this screaming i swatted my mask off of my face because i didn't want it to melt with the fire you know yeah. to my so, skin so was the left it was the left side of the aircraft was like just a barbecue right fire torched yeah. exactly okay so the mask is off i'm screaming looking for help and now i'm getting doused with firefighting foam so i took my right hand and i kind of cupped it over my nose and my mouth so i could at least get a pocket of air where i wasn't ingesting the foam you know i didn't want to be right. sucking in chemical on top of not being able to breathe and i i vividly remember saying to myself this is it this is how i'm going to die and uh, shortly after that, that's when the Marine jumped up there. They got the foam off of me. They managed to get the fire out. He had the engine shut down. And uh, I uh, undid my, my helmet, took it off. I threw it outside the airplane. I let out a few expletives. And uh, I was pissed because I just crashed my jet. I, I was literally pissed. And I was fighting and trying to get out of the airplane. Started undoing my Coke fittings as best I could and everything, but they were so wedged into my hips that I, I couldn't release. And it never dawned on me to use the cutaway. Remember the handle? You just cut yeah. away, cuts everything. It never dawned on me to use that or anything. So now the airplane is surrounded by people looking at me, wanting to know and asking me, hey, OB, are, are, are you okay? And I remember saying, yeah, I, I think I broke my arm and leg. I can't move it. And they're like, okay. And 
today i think that's funny when i you know when i think about that they just witnessed me being trapped in an airplane and burning on fire yeah. and everything and then they yeah. come up and they ask me if i'm okay and I, today that's funny to me that's odd yeah. to me like I, okay I, just witness this that no i am not okay hey, you're hey Obi, are you okay no, I'm not okay. What the fuck kind of question is that? Yeah, yeah let's go to the O Club now, right? Hey, oh, so, you okay, let's go. So after that, it uh, it took about 15 minutes. I couldn't feel my left arm and leg, but they had been burned through, through the boot, everything. The whole left side, the whole trunk, and my left arm were, were burned through all the nerve endings and everything. And plus, the human body is so remarkable and protecting us from us you know, protects you. Your brain right, does a great right. job of protecting you from you. <laughs> uh, right. There's some pain that you can endure that you really shouldn't know about. And the brain's smart enough to know to shut down that area. Wow, so I was already in shock and I didn't feel anything, which is why I thought I broke arm and leg. Yeah. You were 40% burn victim. Is that about right? 30, 36, yeah, 36. Okay. Yeah. Arm, so. right, left arm, left left leg what about your torso obi torso is all covered in uh, grafted skin whole left side yeah so uh i guess it took about 15 minutes to get me out of the airplane um and they i cheated death three times that day the first time is i survived burning the second one when i when i go back and and i kind of look at some of the photos that i've been privy to see uh, on the, the safety vest, always had the flare in the left side pocket. Well, all of the mesh and the nylon mesh around that and everything had all been burned away. So your big safety flare, that's about an inch in diameter and maybe yes. four or five inches long. That, that yes. sat right here on your left breast, right? It didn't cook off? No, I would not be here if that had done that. That's Good for damn Lord. sure. Yeah. And the third way I, I cheated death that day and the good Lord said it's just not your time to die is uh apparently we never safe the ejection seat the whole time they were trying to get me out of the airplane wow so wow. yeah and you remember yeah. that it was the knocker yeah. and the l bar the, the armpit knocker right right so yeah, right. uh so they start grabbing me by the straps i'm putting my right arm on the right canopy rail the left side of me is dead i can't move it do anything with it and I think they broke through the airplane where the burnt, the fire had taken place. They broke through all the carbon fiber and somebody was guiding my leg up from under the fuselage area, under the, under the cockpit, while somebody was lifting me up by my harness. And I was literally using my right arm to push up on the canopy rail. And when I got up high enough, I put my foot on the ejection seat under the right thigh area. Yeah. And I stood up on the seat and then they dragged me down the back of the airplane. And I just remember when they were doing that, that my ass felt really hot, you know? Well, of course that's where the engine cowling was and, and everything. So it's, it's a temperature sensitive sure. area. Sure. They get, they get me on a gurney and we're sitting there on the middle of the road. And then this big debate ensued as should we wait on Pedro or put him in the ambulance and drive him to Jacksonville right now? Pedro is the uh, rescue helicopter. Correct. Yeah. So out of Cherry Point, and and I'm saying wait for Pedro, get Pedro, wait for Pedro, you know, yeah. and uh, but Pedro couldn't find us on the road. So somebody wisely popped smoke on the road 
Pedro found us, lands right on Lyman Road. They wheel me down the road, get me on the helicopter. They wouldn't give me anything to drink, but my throat is caked, drier than sand. And uh, Well, you probably had uh, the foam. You know, you probably ingested some foam, right? Yep, yep, yep. They did a bunch of tests on my lungs for inhalation injuries and stuff like that. Some weird medical terms, but they didn't find any damage, thankfully. So I get on Pedro, and I'm laying there with my head backwards to the back of the aircraft to the ramp. And then the plane captain's in the back at that at that window on the right aft of the aircraft of the CH-46. Right. And then we start lifting off. And as soon as he clears the trees, you know, he tells the crew up there. He looks back at me. I remember this like this yesterday. Is, this is the crew chief? The crew chief. Yeah. He looks back at me and he sees me laying there on this gurney. And they must not have covered me up with a sheet or anything like that. But my hand and my boot, my whole left side were exposed. And he saw that and he, he kind of went like this. He went and looked right back out the window. Just winced. Yeah. Yeah, he kind of winced. So and you saw that. You saw that reaction. I saw his reaction, his facial reaction, and I thought to myself, hmm, hmm. wonder what wonder what he's you know thinking. So we landed at Lejeune and they wheel me off and I'm surrounded by a bunch of white coats. And I woke up the next day on a Thursday afternoon at a burn unit at Chapel Hill, Chapel Hill area, one of the universities. I, I don't, to this day, I don't know who it was, if it was Duke, UNC, UNC, NC State. I have no idea where I was, but I was at a specialized burn unit there uh, awaiting to be transferred to San Antonio, Texas for the Brook Army Medical Center down there for the burn unit. But when I woke up, all my buddies were there, you know, my, my roommates, a bunch of other Harrier drivers, they're all around my room. I'm intubated. I can't speak. I try to talk. The nurse is oh, like, the nurse is like, don't try to get up. I tried to get out of the bed and everything. Yeah. And uh, she brought me over a notepad. And I remember writing a note on there, you know, called Tina, you know, who was at the time was my girlfriend. And now she's, you know, obviously my wife of 28 years, 29. Nice. So uh, after that, the guys left. I probably took another nap. And then around, uh, I don't know, close to midnight, the crew from San Antonio showed up, three doctors, two doctors and a nurse. Um, and they uh, they said, we're from uh, San Antonio. We're here to uh, take you to Brook Army. And you've been burned pretty bad. And that was kind of the first time I found out that I had been burned. And they said, we're going to take you to San Antonio and we're going to take good care of you. And I said, okay. Put me on an ambulance, took me to the airport, doors opened up on the uh the ambulance and i'm looking at a dc-9 transport plane and they they got me up the ramp got me situated in there we took off i went to sleep woke up in san antonio on a friday sometime in the morning and they wheeled me out of an elevator because they had been doing a bunch of uh, photographs on me and documentation and all this other stuff and when they wheeled me out uh my girlfriend and her mother and my mom and dad and my brother were all there to greet me because throughout Thursday, they had found out that I was in an accident. And then as soon as they found out I was going to be in San Antonio, they loaded up the van in Kansas city. My dad headed South with my mom and brother. And then yeah. Tina and her mom, they got plane tickets and flew to Houston and then 
San Antonio and uh, came out to see me. And that's the first time she met my family, my mom and dad and my family. And I got five siblings. And she married you anyway. <laughs> huh? And she married you anyway. <laughs> you know, I'm telling you, man, uh, sometimes Marines, we get really lucky. And I, I always, right? you know, Ronald Reagan used to always say that he married up. Oh, and, yeah. uh, dude, I did. I, I got a great wife. She's an angel. And because my story just kept getting worse from day to day, they initially they amputated the toes and then it was half the foot and then it was below the knee. And then, uh, and then it was above the left elbow. They didn't even mess around with the arm and the fingers and, and saving the hand because I had this, uh, infection aspergillus and, uh, they didn't want it getting into my brain and heart and lungs. It would have killed me. So, so basically, uh, that's it. I basically signed the papers. The doctor would come in, say, Lieutenant O'Brien, we got to do this surgery, this operation, and I need you to sign here to, to authorize it. You know, we're going to have to amputate. I, I basically was taking care of my myself while I was yeah. in intensive care. Wow. And uh, but it was, I I still really had no pain at that point because you're pretty doped up on morphine. Right. I didn't experience any pain or you know, suffering or anything like that until I came back from the first skin grafting operation where they, they took a lot of skin off my backside and my, my buttocks and my back. And, uh, and of course they transplanted that to the burned areas on my trunk and, and, uh, that, Oh, my ass. Oh, my ass is a way to go Homer. I'm glad you could interject some humor in here. And by the way, for your listeners out there, I've got no problem talking about this. It's not painful to me anymore. Uh, I've, uh, I've accepted what occurred and I took full responsibility, hundred percent responsibility for the accident. And honestly, I believe, uh, you know, through the process of acceptance is, is, is if you can do that, then you can release that, you can let that go, then you are free to move on in life and to excel and succeed in anything that you want to do. And so I've, I've accepted that really from day one. And I only ever had one pity party when I was in the, uh, when I was in the burn center and I felt bad for myself. Well, B, that's the amazing thing to me is that I, you know, as you mentioned earlier, I did the, the crash investigation as the safety officer on that. And it was, um, uh, I, I brought a T-bird down with our uh, squadron doc down to uh, interview you about the about everything that went on. And um, I remember that every other day yeah. they were asking me, "Can this guy come in and interview you and everything?" But I was still in intensive care. You were still, yeah. That. And then I think I think you was it. Mo- yeah, it may still have been because, as I recall, the uh, uh, Black Hawk Down Black Hawk Down Mogadishu crew was in the same burn ward with you. And yep. there was a Marine Corps warrant officer who'd gotten trapped under a Humvee or it was mm-hmm. a Humvee. Okay. Yeah. That had got caught on fire. You guys were quite the support group. Yeah, we were big. T- yeah, we were big, but that warrant officer, I will say this, that I woke up, he kept us up one night with his crying. Yeah. And of course I was a Lieutenant and I got pissed off cause I couldn't sleep. This is after they move you from the A side, which is critical care to the yeah. B side, which is okay. You're on your road to recovery. And that's when I met all these guys from black Hawk down and, and this right. warrant officer, they got pinned under a Humvee and severely burned and everything. And, uh, he was crying and writhing in pain and uh, I had had enough of it. And I just, I piped up and I said, I said, 
warrant officer, I forget his last name. I said, shut the F up. I said, I don't want to hear it anymore. We are all in severe pain here. So shut the hell up and you take the pain and, and, and get over it. And he never, he never cried the rest of the night after that. And he wasn't my friend anymore after that, but well, there, <laughs> you know what, that was a little tough love you, you, you had to use on him. I'm sure everybody else appreciated that. I, I think he did. I think yeah. he did. Yeah. Yeah. We finally got around to the interview for your, for your investigation. You and, uh, I forget the guy's name, but you came with a major and I, I forget his last name. No, it was, was it? Okay. Yeah. Yeah, that's yeah. the guy I brought to uh, in the T-Bird. But um, yeah, so just real quick. So th- this is the weirdest, uh, the weird thing. Um, I- I've been known to imbibe a little bit now and then. Uh, so so I'm told. But no, I, I, I don't think I ever drank alone, ever in my life. And went up, did the interview, saw the shape you were in, and I was like, man, this really hit me. And seeing everybody, it it, it was a, it was a painful. You, Hard to explain this, but uh, you know, I'm I'm in this burn ward, and it's the first time in my life. I've been around medicine most of my life. My mother's a nurse. I'd been seeing ER gunshots, knifings, all that kind of stuff. Never been to a burn ward in my life. I was like, wow. We did the interview, went back to the BOQ, and I emptied the mini bar. Of course, it's an Air Force BOQ, so (laughs) unlike a ring one, there's no mini bar to empty. I emptied the mini bar, drank that damn thing down myself. Next day, woke up feeling like crap. I'm going. Well, that was kind of stupid. Why did I drink all of that? And we walked, we came back to see you again that afternoon in the hospital. I remember walking in the front doors, hitting the elevator button. The doors closed on the elevator, and the elevator started going up. And this feeling of evil, black, darkness, pain, it felt like my heart was going down to the basement while my body was going up to the fourth deck. I'm going, oh, my God. That's why I drank all that crap last night. I just, I couldn't believe the feeling of, of depression and pain that I was going, going in to face again. So, the, you know, my God, what, what I saw you go through was terrifying and heartbreaking and soul-crushing and all those things. And I, and I once said to myself, uh, man, if I never go to another burn ward in my life, it'll be entirely too soon. And then, uh, as as you know, some years later, uh, my my oldest became a burn victim, and you were one of the first people I called for for support and understanding to go, hey, what you know, what's he facing? So, um, and you were a big support for that. So I appreciate that. Semper five, brother. Uh, yeah, yeah. I got three questions, Obi. Yes, sir. The marine that shut the engine down was he part of the crash fire rescue guys? No, he was uh, Lance Corporal. Brent McDaniels, and uh, he was an aircraft mechanic. Was he a crew chief from your squadron? Uh, he may have been a crew chief at the time. Uh, as a Lance Corporal, I doubt it, but he okay. was one of the techs. So yeah. he was he was down there as part of support in case he in case uh, there was some kind of mechanical issue. Correct. Yeah, you know, the full-blown evolutions yeah. from yeah. safety to fuel is there in ordinance. So, yeah. He wow. knew how to shut down an airplane, though. Thank God. Yeah, yeah. All right, next question. Uh, where'd you meet your bride? I met her in Philadelphia. I uh, did a cross-country trip with the instructor in back of my aircraft. We flew up to NAS Willow Grove. This is when you were at Kingsville? Yep. Yep. Okay. Flew up with a major. He wanted to... No, 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 no. It was when I was in Cherry Point in the Harrier. Okay. Okay. So let me, let me rewind to August of 85 when I started at Spartan. 
uh, immediately uh, befriended a guy who's a couple years older than me. He's a civilian pilot, flies for United now, or the majors now, a triple seven. And, he, and he's now my <laughs> brother-in-law. Okay. Yeah, he's now my okay. brother-in-law, but we befriended each other, became very good friends down in, uh, down in Oklahoma. We kind of went our ways in 87 after graduation and we lost, we lost our ways. But in 93, I knew he lived up in the Philly area. So I managed to get in touch with him and I said, Hey, I'm flying into Willow Grove for, you know, an overnight on a weekend in the Harrier. Uh, can you come out and pick me up? I'd love to, love to hang out with you. So he did came out and picked me up and I showed him the airplane and all the G whiz stuff and everything. And then, uh, he, at this time he's flying for DuPont private, uh, citations and King airs down at, uh, Newcastle airport in Delaware. So we went down there and he showed me his cute little airplanes and stuff like that, that he was flying, you know, the civilian birds. Yeah. Right. And, uh, and then he took me to the salon that my wife worked at the family business, the mother, father, the brother, and the, and the two sisters and a sister-in-law, they all worked in the family business at the salon. And he took me around and introduced me to everybody. And he introduced me to my wife, Tina. And uh, I remember shaking her hand and looking into her blue eyes and uh, beautiful earrings and her blonde hair. And I said, it's nice to meet you. Mm -hmm. And uh, I said, nice. And I said, nice earrings. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah. nice. You said nice earrings. I did. What a a klutz, right? (laughs) So I said, nice earrings. Yeah. I said, nice (laughs) earrings. And she goes, excuse me. I said, those are nice. Those are nice earrings. It's really nice to meet you. And uh, so that night. Oh, guys are so, we're so Joey, (laughs) Joey and his wife and Tina and the other sister, Karen, we all went out to a bar that night and Tina and I just struck up a great conversation and uh, we connected. I got invited back for 4th of July weekend. This is like late June, June 18th of uh, 93. So I got invited back for 4th of July weekend of 93. And her father, uh, we went down to the shore, celebrating her dad's birthday, eating a bunch of crabs, drinking beer. And we went out on the Toms River that evening and uh, anchored and watched fireworks. Wow. And if you remember the old show, Love American Style, yeah. Remember the fireworks yeah, right, going right. off and yes. all that stuff. Yes. Remember that sitcom? Yes. And uh, so that, that was it. Her and I fell in love right away. And we were in each other's company all of about, we calculated, figured out about 14 days. Because I, I went back again uh, after I got out of 203 at the end of July. I had some leave. So I used that and I came up to see her. And then, of course, uh, with Stretch, him and I flew across country up there just after Labor Day weekend in 93 so i got to see her about 14 days and uh we're in love and when i woke up at the burn unit she was there with her mother i was like holy cow we had to say that she was my fiance in order for her to get in to see me in the critical care unit there you go uh but everything worked out great and uh it was a shotgun wedding they're the ones still here (laughs) yeah yeah it's that's more a than a shotgun, story. man. It was a it was a twenty five millimeter cannon wedding. That's there what you, you know. So I love that part of the beautiful. story. It's that's, that's a great. Uh, I I it's a great love story, and and we're so blessed. I got three beautiful daughters now, and, and uh, it's just I'm blessed beyond my wildest imagination, guys. I really am. So done well, a lot of great you. things. Thank you. What's the third question? 
you know, I had two written down and the third was right here. And I'm like, I don't need to write it down. And right now I got so wrapped up and listened to that story. I can't remember what oh, it was. That's awesome. Well, I'll tell you, you know, it's, I will say though, that, uh, you know, OB you've been, uh, you know, so open with this and it's really nice. I think inspirational for people who are listening, oh, what totally. you've gone through and what you've done. Um, you know, you sacrificed a lot in service to your country and, uh, you, you've, got such a grace about it it it's really impressive and in fact one of the things I'll, I'll share that uh you said to me the other day <laughs> when we we were texting back and forth or no we were calling back and forth and the damn phone call kept dropping I mean, three four times it dropped and uh we finally got the phone call established and he goes well you know what it's like riding down the road one hook on the steering wheel and <laughs> 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 and the phone won't connect and you know, to dial. Like, you know yeah. yeah so yeah. dial. Yeah, yeah. Yep. So yeah, yeah, no, I don't know what it's like with one hook on the steering wheel, but no. but God bless you. Yeah, amazing. I, and the, the amazing thing, when I was in that burn center, there were there were victims in there, civilian victims. They didn't have any family that came to visit them. That's rough. And that was sad. It was really sad. There and there were babies in there crying in the middle of the night that were burned. Uh, you know, there were there were infants. Yep. In there, just. You know, just just like yours, and uh, I think the most, probably one of the most horrendous injuries, just because of the enduring pain of it. That mm -hmm. uh, uh, that's not that's not an injury that heals quickly. Not like a it's not, but or... you do once once you're through it and done with it. And like I said at the beginning, I I accepted it. Uh, this is my life now, and I need to move on. And uh, that's that's like a huge wet blanket off of you it's a big release i had my pity party where i felt sorry for myself and this major at the at the burn unit who was basically the liaison officer for my family to get them set up in the fisher house mcdonald house and all that uh the guy came over on a saturday and, you know broke off from watching college football and he came over there and sat in the intensive care and he was covered up. The only thing I could see were his eyes and his eyebrows and the rest was covered up with, with a uh, surgery garb. And he had the sweatiest eyeballs I'd ever seen in a Marine, but he sat there <laughs> and he let me cuss up and once up one side and down the other and, and feel sorry for myself for 30 minutes and just let me get it out. And all he did was sit there and cry and hold my hand. He didn't say a word. And till, until the very end, and he's like, he's like, okay, Marie, what are you going to do now? Let's, let's, right let's, let's suck it up and let's start moving forward. And I did from, from that point on. So wherever that major is in the world today, uh, you know, he's just, he's a gift. He actually came to our wedding in 94, a year yeah. later. That's so awesome. we invited him up and, uh, you know, life's been good guys. I just, Oh, that's awesome. There's, there's no limits. I, I do everything that I, that normal two-handed and two-legged people do. I, I ran Marine Corps in 2010, 2011, uh, you know, a great marathon. It's just, okay, I just had so, a blast. So I have to, it. I have to argue with you there. No, you, you don't do what other people do. Fig, you ever run a Marine Corps marathon? <laughs> Not one time ever. Yeah, me, me neither. So you need to run it one more you time. Disgusting so fat bodies. <laughs> <laughs> you disgusting fat bodies. You disgusting fat you have another jelly donut. <laughs> Especially you pilot types. <laughs> okay. Absolutely. I, 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 know, I know what the third question was. There you uh, go. So Roll what in. Time, time frame, Obi, 
how long were you in so just give me a time frame i mean how long from the time you got to houston until you you know walk walked out and weren't weren't a patient anymore okay so arrival uh september 24th at fort sam houston brook army medical center in san antonio that was september 24th and on december 14th it put me on an airplane and flew me to Andrews Air Force Base. And then I checked into Walter Reed Army Medical Center. And then I was in and out all over the weekends. The family, my brother-in-law now, he would drive down every Friday night, pick me up at Walter Reed in DC and bring me back up here to Philadelphia to be with Tina and her family. And then on Monday mornings, we would go back to Walter Reed. So, and I, I was really finished with Walter Reed around uh, probably June of 94, uh, because by then I had already been fitted with some prosthetics, the arm, learned to use the arm, learned to trust a leg. That, that was really scary. Yeah. Uh, learning to trust this piece of uh, titanium, which now is all carbon fiber. But once I got used to the process and adapted, I stayed pretty healthy and never really had a need to go back to the hospital other than slipping and breaking bones and stuff like that. Nope. <laughs> wow. Nope. Thank you for that. Yeah. That that's so, uh, what a, what a great what a what a great story! I, I really appreciate you sharing that. I've been blessed, brother. I I knew. I well, knew America's some blessed by people like you willing to serve yeah. and and handling these sort of things with with the grace that what you do. You're an inspiration to others. Let Very me ask a question of you guys. Sure. How many Harrier pilots have you known that have been killed? I lost count. Well, there okay. were there were three three guys from my from my tbs class that died one was in our squadron repeat yeah this biscuit yep and then jj smith uh right. he was in bma 214 and then uh uh rip rip okay. oh yeah. yeah yeah he he was a kansas city guy too That's so right. that was three guys oh, from, really that was three guys out of nine guys from my tbs class that got um harriers 33%. Yeah. Wow. And then, uh, of course, I, I knew. Let's see. Well, I knew Bull. Uh, I didn't know him real well, but I knew him. And, you know, he was one of the guys I looked up to because he was a desert, desert, you know, desert storm guy. He was a tactician. Yeah. yeah. Um, I'm, I'm sure I'm. I'm missing some other ones there. I, I here's didn't... here's what I'm not gonna. I I could probably name about three or four, but in the interest of not hurting some feelings, like you yeah. know somebody, because I've I, I truly I lost count. I I could name three or four like that, and then I'm gonna leave somebody out. Yeah, and and I don't want to do that because each each one of them gave something to us and gave everything for us. Uh, but now, how many of you known that have survived accidents and lived to tell about it? Or ejections. Yeah, well, quite a few of those guys too, right? Yeah, I mean, there's uh, yeah many yeah. more. You know, Luke Half was on the show with us. He, Luke was two mishaps. One one was not even close to being fatal. The other one could have gone badly, very quickly. Yeah. Um, and then uh, I don't know if you heard his show yet or not, Ob, but he he would have had a third mishap if he'd have gone flying on his last flight in the Marine Corps, and he said, "Yeah, the heck with it. I'm going to give that." give that away let someone else buy that flight today which would have been his last flight and the guy wound up ejecting on final so wow yeah yeah 
it just um it it was uh it it was and still is a handful as an airplane um I, I think guys good. like us can only understand the the gravity and the dangerous occupation that that you do when you fly it you can't take anything for granted you no. know it's no. in the american public i don't think they understand that so no well, I no and it's it, you know not, not it, it ignorance is bliss and i and i don't mean ignorance as a pejorative but they they don't understand the mm-hmm. the the extreme danger that's faced on a daily basis in tactical aviation and um, just training just th- training yeah when nobody's even shooting at you it's yeah yeah i mean exactly right just you know. training just training well yeah thank you my pleasure thank you so much for inviting me this is this is a great idea guys i mean it's therapeutic to talk about and have fun and yeah and and laugh and uh, we we laugh at our own stupidity and and the the dumb things that we did when we were young and dumb and and uh, here we are balding gray hair silver hair and uh, handlebar mustaches and <laughs> all of it that is an amazing mustache repeat <laughs> you look el rico suave i just i just don't want you to shave it off ever it is better it's... to look good than to feel good <laughs> but of course <laughs> Uh, I'm having else. fun with it. I'll probably I'll probably shave it some when I uh, when I run out of mustache wax. But it's it's getting close to the full on Raleigh fingers at this point. <laughs> so very nice, good stuff. Well, uh, Ob, I'm gonna uh, uh, after I get all your contact information. The next time I have a layover in your neck of the woods, we're gonna hook up. Oh, absolutely. My uh, my house is open to you anytime you're here, and uh, if you can bid some Philly trips, by all means, please do and. I'm going to forward you some contact information of my, uh, my buddy, my best friend out there in Denver. So. Yeah. Yeah, please do. All right. Well, perfect. All right, everybody. Well, thanks for joining us today, especially you will be sharing this with us and, and going over this. It's been fun to reconnect and uh, it's inspiring to me. What you've been through, what you've done with your life is impressive to say the least. And I'm proud to call you a friend. Semper Fi, brother. Feel the same way about you guys and Semper especially five. good to see you guys again. Yes, really is. is means a lot to me so until next time everybody thanks for joining us in check six